Assalamualaikum everybody Thanks so much for joining us once again On the Muslim Centric Podcast I'm your host Aman Durrani And it's a brand new podcast Which aims to educate, inspire and entertain On all issues related to Muslim life Today's episode is one that was broadcast on Facebook Live And was courtesy of iSilbus UK It was a show called Death, Bereavement and Burial Rights And it was relation to COVID-19 And it was recorded on the 3rd of April 2020 And I'm recording this on the 8th of April So just a few days later And it's been a really important topic Which we wanted to make sure we could share with as many people as possible It's a really important discussion Because there's a lot of anxiety at the moment Understandably with the COVID-19 situation and the expectation in the UK that the peak of cases and deaths will be over the next few weeks, particularly around the Easter weekend. And so there's already been a lot of discussions and contingency planning around cremation, death certificates, restrictions on janazas and funeral prayers. And so the host, Sheikh Amr Jamil of ISIL, was really wanted to address many of these topics. And he was joined by two special guests. One was Shahid Akram, a Muslim funeral director from Bristol. And the other was Rizi Mohammed from Glasgow. And he's also the National Burial Council coordinator for Scotland. And their input was really important because they're on the front line, have a lot of experience with what is required at the moment, including issues such as PPE, so personal protective equipment, and also lots of changes with the procedures of burials and deaths at the moment. Lots of topics were covered in this podcast, including an update of the situation in the UK. There's a lot of discussions around cremations, burial and mass graves, and also dealing with the tragic circumstances of where loved ones may be dying alone or with very few people around them because of the restrictions of social distancing and also about janaza prayers and burials within cemeteries with very few people being able to attend and that must be an incredibly hard thing for families and loved ones to deal with so this many of these topics were discussed in this podcast so we really hope you really enjoy it inshallah and you can actually watch the discussion on facebook live on the page of i syllabus uk so hope you enjoyed this episode and you find it of benefit If you do, please do like us And share and subscribe About the podcast Because it helps re- other people find it Particularly on If you use Apple You know, the ratings Just give us a 5 star rating Inshallah And you can also follow us On social media On Facebook Instagram Twitter And you can also email us At muslimcentricpodcast At gmail.com Until next time Asalaamu Alaikum Bismillahirrahmanirrahim to everybody uh, listening inshallah let us know where you're listening in from um, give us your feedback give us your uh, input inshallah today's topic is a very relevant one to what's been happening in the current um, crisis we're looking at death bereavement and burial rights um, I'll be looking at my phone and uh, don't be worried about that. I'm just checking for questions. And I'm also, if I'm looking up, that's the uh, Instagram lot there. Uh, for the Instagram lot, um, after one hour, it does cut off. So I will restart it. So don't get worried, inshallah, in case you think that you've lost us. So uh, I'm going to start. I have got two guests with me. Uh, just like last week, I had two guests. I've got two guests, inshallah. Um, I have Brother Shahid Akram from, um, he's a funeral director in Bristol. 
and also Rizzi Muhammad in Glasgow. And um, I've actually done a, a one-day uh, course on this whole topic several times, and um, both of them have been involved in uh, running a session on the legalities and the pragmatics. So inshallah, I've invited them along so that they can inform us from the front line, so to speak, give us an update and tell us exactly what's happening day to day. As you know, this is a fast moving situation. So I'm just going to say a few words and then hand it over to them and then we'll start taking the questions. We've already got quite a lot of questions that have been submitted. Let's keep um, adding those questions in, inshallah ta'ala. Um, so I think the first thing is, obviously, <clears throat> today there was a bit of sad news um, about one of the, the Muslim nurses, young nurse uh, in her 30s who uh, got the coronavirus and has sadly passed away. And there was also uh, another Muslim doctor, uh, as you know, the first three fatalities uh, from the, the medical side has been uh, Muslims and another one has been added to that. So we, first of all, I think, start by um, praying for them and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept them as martyrs and give them a high abode in genital for those, inshallah ta'ala. And also everybody in that field, in the NHS, um, and not just in the NHS, but everybody that's working um, to to help in whatever shape or form that is. Even our brothers that are joining us today um, are you know take part in a, a huge um, um, a service to the Muslim community where they are um, fulfilling the burial rights, uh, janaza rights, washing, and so on for the deceased. Uh, so we ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to protect them as well and also give them lots of reward for whatever and all the sacrifices that they're doing in their families. I think we have to look at this, we have to uh, put ourselves in the right frame of mind when we're looking at these things. There was a question, for example, about the, somebody saying that they're, they're, they're a bit afraid of death. The thing with um, our religion, our tradition, that what it teaches us is we have something to say about everything about in life. So even before this life, we have something to say when we're born with certain things that we're supposed to do, we give the adhan the right ear, we give the iqam in the left ear, and we have a complete system from the day that we're born all the way until we leave this world. We know exactly what to do when a person's passing, and we know exactly what to do when a person, uh, how to send a person off in the best possible manner. And therefore, um, you know, we always go back to our tradition for guidance. Um, one of the things that we're taught is that every soul will taste uh, death, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us in the Quran, something that we read all the time. So this is something which is natural for all of us. Every single one of us that comes on this planet at some point has to leave. We're not here forever. We're here for a temporary period of time. We know this hadith um, that describe uh, our journey in this life like a traveler. So we're just traveling from one point to another point. And when death does eventually come, which it will come, um, it's not the scene as the end for us. It's, the, it's seen as the next journey, the next part of our journey. So we existed before this world in the soul world. Then we came into this world and then we move into what's called the barzakh, the life of the grave. So we're moving, we're constantly moving from one state to another state, just like when we were young. We went from being a baby into a child, into an adolescent, into a teenager, into an adult. Then we get to our 40s, as you know, the mid midlife crisis happens or uh, you know, people get to the maturity. And then what happens, you start to approach old age. 
So we go through stages in our existence in this world. And the next stage is, um, is to move on from this world. So that's the first thing. We shouldn't be phased by this. This is something the Prophet told us to remember frequently. He told us to frequently remember death. So because when you remember death, you prepare for it. We should be, always be prepared. And if anything this whole crisis has brought light to, is that we have to be prepared every single moment. We can't um, become complacent and think that we're going to be here forever and ever. We don't know. And this is the thing that the, the nurse that died today was in her 30s. Although we know that this is more critical for people who are elderly, but every so often we saw that little boy, 13-year-old, also passed away. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us that it's, there's no set rule. You, you, don't, you don't set the rules. He does. So it's not that everybody's old is going to pass away. No, some people are younger are going to pass away. And this is something that has already been written for us. So when we come to this world, we're, it's already written how many breaths that we're going to take. So it's, it, nobody will leave this world except that they will complete their risk, their sustenance, and will complete uh, all their breaths. So this is all written. And the virus or whatever, anything that happens in life, these are all just means, right? So the person who's passed away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already de decreed that that person was going to, only going to live 35 or 40 years on this, on this, uh, on this earth. And so this is something which is a, a natural occurrence, which happens uh, all the time. Um, so we see it not as an end in, it, in itself. We see it as a journey. And um, it's not something that we should be completely phased by. Um, and it's possibly a lesson that we're not remembering death enough, um, that we maybe um, are, get distracted from this world that we live in and we forget that this is not our abode. This is not our abode. Our abode is in the next life, is the life to come. That's the real life, um, which is what we should all be working towards. So, I mean, in terms of our tradition, we obviously know that we have a certain duty towards uh, our fellow brethren. And one of those duties is when it comes to the time of death, um, we wash them. We know the story of, of Cain and Abel, uh, Habil Qabil, and when he didn't know what to do when he'd killed his brother, and Allah SWT sent a crow or a raven down, and uh, it, it killed another raven and it buried it. So he, the, the, this is where it's all kind of started from. Um, so we have a whole process. We wash the body. Um, we treat it with dignity and respect. We put it in a coffin. Then we pray the janazah prayer over it. And then we bury it. And then we have condolences. So these are the normal kind of uh, spectrum of, of activities that we have. Now, obviously, everything has completely changed because we're in unprecedented times. These are uh, times that none of us could have expected. I was speaking to my mom. This is before the whole social distancing thing started. And she said that, you know, and she's in her 70s now. She said that, and, you know, nothing like this has happened before. Um, I mean, it's unprecedented. Mosques closing down, no Juma prayer, the advent of Tarawi coming, probably not Tarawi prayer either. Makkah, Medina, you know, places where you'd you'd be you'd be shocked. That, and now they're actually discussing. Now they're saying that Hajj is most likely going to be cancelled. They're telling people not to come for Hajj. So this is a uh, unprecedented um, things, and because they're unprecedented. It's taken us time to get our heads around it. And that is the same for scholars as well. So one of the things that um, was asked was that, um, you know, why are there so many different opinions? Because first of all, as you know, things have been moving very, very fast. Uh, so we're trying to keep up with these things. And secondly, 
um, these are these are unprecedented times. These are new events which we've never encountered in our lives. So we're now having to grapple with these issues. So I remember one week, the whole all my discussions with different scholars was about the prayers, the Juma prayer. Do we stop it? Do we not stop it? Can we have conditions? When that was sorted, then obviously the whole thing of the the death roll, death uh, toll is going to go up. How are we going to then cope with um, doing the ghusl? Do we do ghusl? Do we not do ghusl? So. I think it's natural for us to have different opinions. One of the points of doing this is, inshallah, to try to explain what is going on and what's happening on the ground, inshallah. So I'm going to uh, just mention a few things. First of all is, obviously, we know we, we give ghusl to uh, a deceased. Now, the whole discussion has been about whether it's safe to give somebody a ghusl, um, because as you know, this is a very contagious uh, virus. So um, obviously, that we've been told you have to have... Uh, particular personal protective equipment um, that we've been told that the risk is low from the deceased however that has like the news like so many things that are coming out it's not been consistent there are different people that in the medical field have been seeing different things so based on what information scholars are getting they're formulating their opinions on that so you have some who have gone towards if it's uh, if, if, if all the equipment is there they should try to do the minimum of ghusl. The minimum of ghusl just to wash the body once. Um, the other opinion has been, well, because it's still a risk. And uh, by and large, our uh, people in the, in, the, in the funeral sector are volunteers. They're, they don't have the training that people in the NHS have of how to put this equipment on. Uh, they don't have all the facilities to disinfect where they're doing the ghusl and so on. And so because it's too difficult for that, for that reason, that they should not do the ghusl, they should do a tayammah instead or wipe over the, if it's got a body bag, wipe over it. Um, versus some scholars who have gone to the position that there's no ghusl, no tayammah, you just basically pray the janazah prayer over it. So I've heard three opinions from uh, different uh, scholars and it's based on the information that's available to them. They're making their, their decision based on that. These are all valid positions, I'll have to add. And what the conclusion seems to be is that th there's, this is a general guidance, but it's up to every locality based on their own circumstances, based on what the capabilities are. Um, and, and they will decide for themselves with their local scholars, which of those opinions is going to be applicable to them. Now, the, the coffin itself, there's certain things that we, 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 we think are mandatory, but they're not. So the coffin, the white coffin, uh, coffin, actually just means something that covers the entire body. Even, even it being white is sunnah. The sheets being three sheets for a male, that's sunnah, right? These are also, they're not obligations. The only obligation is that body is covered. So even a body bag would suffice. Um, the janazah, because of the mosques have been closed, has been, has, been, has been done at the graveyard with a lot of restrictions on who can attend. Um, so in that situation, obviously we would all like to attend a janazah of somebody we know. But these are, like I said, unprecedented times. We have to follow the guidelines that we've been told to keep other people safe so we don't, we don't lead to more janazas taking place because of us. But there are other ways that we can um, offer our janazah prayer. So if we can't attend the janazah prayer, then in the Shafi school and Hanbali school, once the body has been prepared and it's ready for janazah, we can pray janazah from afar. Okay, so we would just pray the janazah, just the normal day way we do it. Uh, for the Hanafis, you'd, you'd read the Fatiha in the first raka'ah um, so that it's, it's in accordance with the other schools. But basically, from afar, you make the intention, I'm praying the janazah of, of Fulan, 
and you would inshallah do that and inshallah that will be accepted um, and then burial um, at the moment alhamdulillah everything's uh, being taken care of obviously the, the the death toll will rise and as it rises that's where practicalities have to be looked at but the there are opinions what happens is as normal we would bury somebody in their own grave but if it comes to a situation where it's it's uh, there's undue hardship it is permissible to have more than one person in uh, a plot so there can be what we'd call mass burials obviously it's preferred to be in a muslim cemetery but there are opinions again which would allow us to bury in a non-muslim cemetery if that had to take place so there are lots of opinions um, it's a bit like you know when, when our religion is very practical so for example the hadith says Pray standing if you can. If you can't stand, if you can't stand for prayer, some people can't stand, then you sit for prayer. People that can't sit for prayer, they're in hospital, they lie. Right? So in every situation, the ruling will change. So depending on what the situation is, we will adapt according to the opinion, and that will be absolutely permissible. And we have done um, our duty towards that person and their reward. And uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not decrease, our reward will not decrease because we would have done the full thing had we had the opportunity. And inshallah, we obviously know from the hadith that somebody who dies from uh, in, in a plague situation, they're a shaheed, a martyr. So inshallah, there's a lot of reward for them. Um, so that's the burial then. Of source, obviously, the, the ta'ziyah, the condolences, normally would go around to people's houses, but we have to do that through phone. We have to do it through other means. We can still... Um, you know, try to give people support through other means and even reading Quran, getting together to read Quran. You don't have to get together to read Quran. Everyone can do it in their own locality. You'll still get the same reward. So inshallah, it will not detract from our duties towards our, our brethren. We will do whatever is permissible in the situation um, in front of us. Now, um, just on a, on a final note, that the, the British Board of uh, Scholars and Imams, BBCI, BBSI have done a really good document. If you go to their website and read the document, it gives you all the kind of details, excellent um, guidance. I mean, one of the things I didn't think of was that they encouraged um, healthcare professionals that if you're in a, a hospital situation, a Muslim passes away in front of you, then just uh, if you can keep a, a small stone uh, in your, you know, in your in your gown or something, and just quickly do tayammum, rub it, rub their face, rub their forearms and then obviously throw the gloves and so on away, then you will have at least fulfilled um, the, the, the communal duty, which is upon the whole ummah of that person. So if in that situation where they can't maybe get a ghusl or something, you will have done uh, the tayammum and you're in a position which other people won't be in. So I, some, you know, so it's practical steps like that, which we wouldn't maybe think of, that they've actually uh, thought of. So inshallah, um, this is something that, you know, we, we will... Um, uh, rise to the challenge of our times. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put us, uh, us in this position and we will do our utmost duty seeking his reward. Um, and inshallah, there's lots of discussions going on all over the country. Uh, and I know people have been working very, very hard. Uh, I've got two individuals with me, uh, Brother Shahid from Bristol and Rizzi from, from Glasgow. So we can get a perspective of the England situation and uh, the Scottish situation. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Shahid, um, who uh, I've alhamdulillah met, and also, like I said, when we did the, the, our death course, he kindly came along and um, 
spoke about the practicalities and legalities and I learned a lot from him. And inshallah, these are people who are on the front line, uh, who are also fulfilling a massive duty for the rest of us. So we, we owe our thanks to them and we make dua for them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them tawfiq and they will try their best and we have to also cooperate with them because they know what's what's happening day to day inshallah so brother shad can you just give us a uh, a, a brief summary of where where we're at um, in terms of currently in your situation in england and the surrounding kind of uh, cities maybe birmingham london probably um and just give us an update and if there's anything else you want to add to what i've already said and then we'll, we'll ask uh, rizzi for the scottish uh, situation inshallah ta'ala. brother shad <clears throat> As the Imam has said, mashallah, um, we're in a very difficult uh, position. There's, there's nowhere near normal what we would normally expect in terms of normal janazas and, and the process we would normally adapt. Uh, we're having to change very rapidly in this, in, in this situation. And if I just talk about Bristol briefly, um, alhamdulillah, we've only had a very small amount of deaths. Even in one is very critical, but we've had two here. Looking at the rest of the country, um, obviously the situation is changing day by day. Um, as, as funeral directors, we're expected to gear ourselves up. You know, like they say in England, you know, it's the calm before the storm. But we have this power of the wine, inshallah. We're praying, inshallah, Allah saves us from this situation. But obviously we are making preparations. Um, something that's very important for us, obviously, is the ghusl that uh, Sheikh has touched on. And... It's quite a difficult place to be at the moment because masjids are very limited due to the resources they have. Uh, the health and sa safety issues that are, is presented with Corona is something that obviously nobody's ever come across before. You know, so facilities which we would normally have access to are now closed. You know, and they're closed. Uh, issues within their organisations are closed because we haven't got at this present moment in time, the, pro the proper protocol or guidelines in place to ensure the safety. So if it's not the actual building, you know, it's the procedures. If it's not the procedures, it's the protective equipment. So th this is a very major issue that a lot of people are getting very <coughs> and um, concerned about. And quite rightly, you know, if someone we love passes away on us, you know, the minimum um, we need to do, this is the basics for us is the ghusl, but the Sheikh has said Allah has made it easy for us and the document he's referred to the BBSI is a very extensive document it is worth reading I would highly recommend you read it and it does show you in all instances what we can do in this situation and how we can get around it so that seems to be the most crucial issue uh, following on from what we had with uh, cremation the worries of cremation when this thing very much started at the, the first instance if you can recall, we were in the news and it was a big uproar amongst our community where the government decided that maybe under cir circumstances we'll be, there will be some cremations. SubhanAllah, we have overcome that now. You know, So Alhamdulillah, through the work of some talented people and National Burial Council as well as some of the other Muslim organisations, MashaAllah, working, working together with some of the MPs have overcome this problem. So now we don't have to worry too much about cremation Gustav, obviously, we've touched on. Now, in terms of the, the policies and procedures of Public Health England, um, the risks associated, uh, Sheikh has already touched on that. We're not saying you cannot do Gustav, but 
if we have the right equipment and the right facility and the risks are tremendously reduced, then it is possible. Okay. But then moving on to how we go about doing our registrations and communicating with your funeral directors and all these, these things are all changed slightly as well. So instead of you having to go to a registry office now to make a appointment, now you'll be asked to call them directly. Your bereavement team will then call and, and link up a, a call with the registrar. So everything's done remotely. So we're not having a lot of paperwork. And then the burial order, instead of you having this famous green document we call the green form, which is our, our license to bury, that's all done digitally now. So that's sent digitally to the cemetery or to your funeral director. So most cities you'll find over this next coming week will be adapting that principle. And in terms of cemeteries, this is another big concern. Um, and Alhamdulillah, most towns are organized enough now where we know we've got enough space. Okay, but the problem is we just don't know how much space we need. Okay, so there's various issues we're going to come across in this time uh, that we're going to have to really work together on. For example, today we had a meeting in Bristol with all our masajid and people uh, in those positions. Alhamdulillah, we came to some conclusion on what facilities we have, how we're going to work forward. Maybe we'll get a separate facility for Ghusl if, if we deem it necessary. We'll try and bolt onto a local uh, a new uh, hospital they're opening up. So we're looking at various options and how we can make sure everything works together. You know, so, and there's a lot of other issues I think we're going to touch on when you get some questions, Sheikh, but the emotional aspect of this, I think is the most difficult one, you know, and the self-isolation issue, like we're hearing of this young lad, subhanAllah, 13 years old, who's passed away, whose family couldn't attend. I mean, we can't, sitting here now, imagine uh, ever being in that position, you know, and the support we need needs the community. You know, the community really needs to, but the problem is we can't physically approach people and visit them. So we have to use these platforms we're using now. And this, for the now, for the time being, is the new norm. You know, we really have to go out of our way to make that communication because, you know, clearly it means a lot to us. You know, it's, it's a part of our deen. You know, when we when we give uh, give our condolences, we make dua, we read for the maghfirat. You know, so subhanAllah, we're in a very difficult position, but together we can get through it. You know, it's just how we can work together. You know, moving forward. You know, so inshallah, I'll let uh, let you carry on there, Sheikh. Maybe onto Rizwan, they will come back with some questions. Inshallah. Shukran. Jazakallah um, <clears throat> khair for that, uh, brother Shahid. And um, I'm going to turn to, to Rizzi in, in Scotland, Glasgow, in my city. Uh, Rizzi uh, is also, apart from being involved in all the funeral uh, stuff for many years, he's also a psychotherapist, or you can correct me if that's wrong. But um, he's, he's got obvious experience of what Brother Shah had just uh, touched upon there, the emotional aspect. Um, so maybe, so Rizzi, can you give us an update on where we're in, in Scotland and also maybe just touch upon what Shahad was talking about there, about the emotional side, the grieving um, from your professional background, if you can give us some, some guidance and some tips, inshallah. Certainly. Okay, <coughs> my brothers and sisters, um, thanks Shay for obviously giving us the opportunity to get the right information out. As you can see, we're, we're getting information out. Alhamdulillah, we're getting, there's, um, as you can know, it's, it's a very mismatch just now. 
So um, we're getting good information, and at the same time, every so often, one of our biggest problems is to put fires out. We we're getting information that is incorrect, and all our time, our good quality time, even the shakes, is going on to helping us put that out. So that was my first plea. Please, if you're sending any good WhatsApps out, we're going to have them authenticated. Make sure they're true before you forward them on, please, thanks. And it will give you credibility, my brothers and sisters. So that's the first thing I would say. Uh, that's very important because yesterday, we had a very, very bad day and we might talk about that later on if we get time for it. And it was to do with cremations as well. We might touch on that. But just now, the way we are just now, as you can appreciate with it, about over 38,000 deaths that have happened in the UK. Uh, sorry, how many cases? 38,000 cases have happened in the UK. Deaths, about 3,600, uh, just over that. In Scotland, we've had about oh, just over 3,000 cases. Out of that, we've had um, a recent jump of 46 deaths, which has given us a total of 172 deaths in the whole of Scotland. And we have to take into account, obviously, the population of Scotland, which is about 6,000 as well. But, you know, at the same time, uh, you have to take all the factors in. And there has been, um, which is I hate to say it, there has been uh, Muslim genazes uh, for COVID-19. There has been. Uh, they've been handled, handled very well. And we'll obviously go into that later on. But, you know, I mean, what I would say... Uh, I, the, the, what I would say is the most, the, the best thing is not only the most, but all the other organisations, they did unite together. And I think that really, really helped. So, for example, you know, um, all the all the biggies, they all came together and they found out who was, who had the, who whose field of expertise it was, and they utilised that to their advantage. So it was great to see them all coming together. And, and as they looked, as they were working together, you know, we were getting great results very, very fast. So we're bringing the professional bodies, for example, the government bodies, the registrars, the pathologists, the, the National Health Service, Service. We were bringing all these different bodies into uh, into into the meetings and so on, and hence the reason we made great strides. And then it started down south, and that cascaded all the way up here, north of the border, which was uh, amazing as well to see. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I will say um, the the registrars, the mortuaries, the hospitals, the GPs, the pathologists, the fiscal's office. All these different organisations and more, even the graveyards and the council, are humbled they've all put protocols in place to take this head on. Because it's not something that we can just bury our heads and hope and pray it'll go away. That's not going to happen. What we can do is mitigate it. What we can do is rise to the occasion. What we can do is be professional about it. And alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, it's great to see all the different organisations, Muslims and non-Muslims, all coming together. We do have... You do have some issues, you know, and we may obviously talk about them later on, uh, and I think it would be important to, to talk about them as well. What <clears throat> um, I will say also, the graph itself, the way that the graph is, um, the trajectory is climbing, it is very concerning, it is very alarming. So I would probably say to the brothers and sisters, you know, don't get all anxious about it. Do the duas and have faith. You can't lose faith. The most important thing, this is a test, and stick to that. Console yourself with that and let's get, get through this um, because the trajectory is climbing and it is climbing on a national level. Um, and what we've seen in, for example, Italy and so on, Spain, very, very concerning, very, very uh, scary stuff. And, you know, we have to, we have to uh, brace ourselves for it. You know, I'm a great believer, prepare for the worst but expect the best, you know, so that's what I would be saying there. Now, we are experiencing some teething problems as well, you know. Um, um, 
dealing problems like, for example, I was working a case yesterday very, very quickly. I was working a case uh, yesterday. And there again, the way that the, uh, the way Shahid was saying, we have the same system set up with the registrars, a very, very professional approach. It's all done by scanning documents, by getting the MCCD. The MCCD is not given to the family. It's, it's, it's emailed straight over to the registrars. The registrars, they do the registration. They phone, they phone the family. They get the information. Then another callback comes back. So things are, are very efficient and accurate as well. But, but again, as I say, some G GPs didn't know the system yet, so we're having little tearing problems in these areas as well. Um, but, you know, we're, we're going to get through this. <clears throat> you talk about um, um, multiple graves. Um, yeah, you know, we can refer to this as stacking. One of the cemeteries down south, they were, uh, uh, we were discussing this through the WhatsApp group. They're, they're, they're Gubberstan, their cemetery is filling up really, really quickly. So because it's filling up really, really quickly, they were thinking of doing, doing stacking. They haven't started, but they're thinking on it. On this, but on the flip side, there's other cemeteries, other councils who have be, who have already given further land for genazis, uh, for burials as well, you know, and, and big pieces of land as well. Um, so I'm going to leave it at that. You know, I'm just giving a general roundup. Um, you did ask me to talk a wee bit about anxiety levels. What I will say is, Throughout the country, throughout the country, anxiety levels are very, very high. So people are, GPs are getting inundated with calls like, I've got this and I've got that. And, you know, is it, you know, have I got COVID-19? And usually it's not. And I get a lot of the GPs actually phone me up and we discuss it and we find out it's just that their, their anxiety levels are so, so high and they're, think, they're not thinking straight. All right. That's all it really is. So usually it's a question of just speaking to them. They don't need any tranquilizers, they don't need any Prozac at this stage, it's just a question of calming them down, giving them the reassurance that listen, you need to be strong, you need to be strong for your family, you need to be strong for your loved ones, and you know, alhamdulillah, we will get through this, but we need to stick to government guidelines, do, you've got a faith, you've got a beautiful faith, you've got the best of faiths, we know that, and stick to that, and inshallah, we can all get through this together. Exactly. I hope that was okay. Didn't want to make it too long. Exactly. Thank you very much, Rizzi, for that. Uh, Rizzi, can I just ask you just slightly sit back because we want to see your lovely face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my chair's got a spring in it. <laughs> you, you, you put a smile on my face when I see your face. So inshallah. Just sit back a little bit, inshallah. Uh, so there's, I'm just going to fire away into the questions. We've got a lot of questions here. So is this a test of faith, Isaac, that with our time? So um, there is a discussion, I mean, whether um, this is like a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or whatever. The thing is, um, we, we, we know that from our faith that this world is supposed to be um, full of trials and tribulations. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will test us all in different ways. And, and, and there's no doubt this is a test for all of us uh, in many ways. But um, um, there's obviously the hadith, which isn't mentioned, Bukhari, I'll read it. Uh, I read it last week, I'll read it again. Um, where Sayyidina Aisha, this is in Bukhari, uh, said, uh, talking about plagues, it's a punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends upon whoever he wills, but Allah has made it a mercy for the believers. So it, ca it can be a punishment, um, but it's also, for a believer, it's a mercy because, as we know, for any difficulty that we go through, uh, our sins are, are forgiven. So it's a purification. If we're patient, of course, because the hadith says, any servant who resides in a land afflicted by plague Remaining patient. So you have to be patient is a very uh, first condition is to be patient. Next condition is to hope in the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then third condition, so three conditions now. Well, number one, we have to be patient so we don't complain. 
we accept what, what's happening. Uh, it doesn't mean we enjoy it, but we accept it. Number two is we hope Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us reward for this patience. And number three, knowing that nothing will befall him except what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed. So nothing is going to happen that's not already been decreed by God. As long as we understand these three things, we'll be given the reward of a martyr, a shaheed, inshallah ta'ala. And that, as Ibn Hajar mentions, uh, is whether a person passes away or not. So that's all of us if we fulfill those conditions. So yes, it is a test by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but if we react in the right way, it will inshallah be a cleansing for us and uh, it's, a, it's a rahmah as well. But um, these things which are befall, like this this whole COVID thing is, is affecting the entire world, uh, unprecedented in, in our lifetime. Uh, there's a hadith in Ibn Majah that says, immorality never appears among a people to such an extent that they commit it openly, but plagues and diseases that were never known among their predecessors will spread among them. So there is no doubt that there's a lot of wrong things that humanity has been doing lately um, and it's absolutely probable that because we've never seen these things before it's very probable that these things are connected to that um, however our our um, it depends on how we react to this it is a test a whole life is a test but inshallah like uh, the Rizzi was saying and also Shah, uh, Brother Shahid that if we if we behave in the right manner inshallah we will pass the test Second question is about are ghusl givers trained to do to use PPE and uh, something relating to that is um, in my experience is that ghusl tends to be disorganized how will they do PPP PPE uh, Bila Shah do you want to answer that inshallah yes Bismillah. so I talk a lot for the question so yes all, all brothers all sisters who are doing uh, ghusl and obviously the establishments that they are going to be doing <coughs> example if it's the local mustard they would be expected to use PP3, which is basically the complete covering of, of the, the clothing with a, a, a protective layer, as well as the most important part of it is the respiratory mask, which is actually respiratory and it filters the air going in and it's actually sealed to the face. You'll notice some uh, persons, like if Sheikh was to wear it, he would have to probably trim some of his beard. Okay, so it's a sealed thing. And then obviously you've got the eye goggles. Okay, then you have the gloves. So these things have to be worn. There is actually a method of putting these on. Okay, and then there's obviously a method of taking them off. So uh, there's a lot of protocols there. Um, National Burial Council, as well as a few other Muslim organizations, have developed uh, uh, stuff on this. So you can look at any massager that needs it, can contact us, we can send it to them. I, it's pretty simple, but there is a technique in doing it. Um, so providing it's followed, properly then inshallah there won't be any problems uh, and the risk of spread is is quite minimal okay but it's all down to us following the protocols and, and are are the people um, in your field um, trained up in this are they getting trained up in this so at this present moment in time we've set up a volunteer um form lots of people have volunteered mashallah we're just waiting for a few legalities like liability the training is actually ready so the training is all going to be done via zoom Okay, apart from the few, uh, so what we're, a lot of organizations are doing that we've learned, they have, for example, Gloucester have a, a set of dedicated volunteers. Okay, now, and they rotate them. So instead of we us having the normal position where families could come in and do kusul, which means they'd have to be trained, then what they're doing is having set volunteers doing the kusul. So these people are trained in putting all their PP stuff on 
and taking it off. So if a family member was to come, it would be for the simplest of tasks, okay, like pouring water or something or taking part or observing. So normally, under these circumstances, what we class as now normal, um, until we get out of this epidemic, it would be managed by people who know what they're doing so we can minimise the risks. And that seems to be the pattern that we're seeing uh, going around the country. Uh, what are the laws about organ donation other times it's permissible? Will cor uh, coronavirus stop organ donations? So, I mean, in terms of organ donation, there's scholarly a, a difference of opinion. Um, some allow it, some don't allow it. Um, but um, those that do allow it, will coronavirus stop organ donations? Rizzi, do you know anything about that? Uh, a little bit. Organ donation, alhamdulillah, we've been, I know down south we've got one of the imams that um, works with the National Burial Council. He actually wrote out a 161-page document just on organ donation, all right? And he delves into all the nuts and bolts of it all. Mufti Zuberbat. I think it is, yes, yes, it is, yes. And alhamdulillah, he usually comes and speaks uh, um, at the conference as well. You know, very talented guy. So Alhamdulillah, I would say he'd be probably the best best to best bet to contact him, and he would probably give us a good ruling on it because he'd be. In terms of the in terms of coronavirus, do you know if that is, is it stopping organ donations at all? Shad, do you know anything about that? <coughs> no, you know I believe there is a document I'm just looking for actually that's been released under the certain with the conditions we're on now and where we stand with coronavirus. There's a brother brother Amjad Ali who who leads this. Uh, organ donation thing who's been working with uh, some of the imams we, we just spoke about and and looking at this whole aspect and leading on it so we could probably get you this document inshallah then we can post it back to people but there is some late later legislation based on coronavirus and organ donation at this present moment in time what are the basics that muslims should take uh, uh, when it comes to a loved one passing away i think this is the issue now that um um if they're in hospital then it's not going to be possible for a person to be there. But um, certainly through um, like um, WhatsApp and, and these other uh, mediums, uh, you can certainly call them, make dua for them. There's a dua, you do this seven times. If you can't do it in front of them, then you do it remotely. Um, and this is also one of the things that the BBSI mentioned um, for Muslim uh, medical um, uh, professionals that in a lot of cases they could be the last people that uh, that Muslim person hospital um, will see before they pass away so they the normal things that family would do like the dawqeen like saying la ilaha illallah and just giving consoling them all that is going to fall on them so they have they've got a massive duty not only are they looking after people they're having to do um, uh, pastoral care as well and uh, just because of the situation that they've been Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put them in um, so that would that that's in our situation probably what we would say. Uh, how do we deal with face, or, or how do we deal that we might not be able to see our loved ones well, well they're suffering even passing away? I think the way we deal with it is to accept that this is the way Allah Subhanahu wa Taala had written this to happen, and whatever Allah Subhanahu wa Taala decrees, whether we understand it or not, there is deep deep divine wisdom in that. So, um, like for example, we might think. If I have a janazah with a thousand people attending, that is much better than um, the, the current situation where the janazahs may be done by five people in the graveyard. However, 
we've already said that somebody who passes away from this um, disease will get the reward of a martyr. So if you were given the choice where you can have a big janaza, but you're going to have to, you're going to, need to have a normal death, right? With and all, the, all the things that come with it, or you can have a small janaza, uh, but I will give you the, I will give you the, the, the death of a shaheed, uh, of a martyr. Which one would you, would you choose? I would choose the, the latter. So it's not what we think, you know, we, we need to get away from the way we think and know that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to do is going to be better. So although we might not be there for that person, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's relationship with that person is much stronger than ours. It existed before this world. So my, my relationship with God existed before I was even named Amr Jamil. It existed before I had my parents, before I you know, had my siblings. And it will exist when I leave this world. We know that in the next world, in the day of judgment, you know, a person won't even recognize or look at their, their brothers and sisters or parents. But they will be only looking at themselves and God. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, the, maybe the person doesn't have us there, but he, the person still has God, and whoever has God has, inshallah, everything. So I know it's difficult, but we have to accept that this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for that person, and there will be lots of benefit in that. And if they go through discomfort when they're passing, we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is cleansing them so that, inshallah, when they go into the next world, they they're, they're either have lessons or they're sinless inshallah if a person dies from covid a martyr inshallah that is our understanding that somebody who passes away from this will will die as a shaheed inshallah uh, yeah i think the essence of the question was how do you remember them i think that was the, the, the question was how do you remember your loved one if you can't go and see their face for example first thing i would say is you don't really need to see their face to remember them you remember them by their memories, you remember them from the photographs you have, you remember them from the videos, you remember them from them from the experiences that you've had, the good experience, and even some of the not so good experiences, the arguments and so that you've had. And also the most important thing is if you do good deeds in their name and do the Sukajari in their name, that is one of the best ways to remember them. I don't know if you agree with me, Shay. No, yeah, thank you very much. Um, what's the best way to pass some condolences to families who have lost a loved one? Shah, do you want to answer that? To be honest with you, Bismillah, I mean, on that topic, um, we've had various different types of, 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 we've had one where it was an open room, for example, where people could just log in, you know, uh, so there's so much technology out there, obviously we've got Zoom uh, accounts, so but a lot of the people I've uh, come across recently in the last 10 days or so have been actually recording messages and sending them, you know, it's even difficult because mm -hmm. we're, we're in such difficult times, we can't even write you know, a card or, you know, send something or even offering food is considered to be, you know, people are questioning, you know, can we trust is everything pure and clean and has it been disinfected? Do you understand? So we're in a, in a very difficult time where we have to realize that, look, what we do now isn't what we would normally do. However, it's very important that we do it, you know, in terms of getting that message to the family of condolences and love and support and, and the work. You know, so in any medium we use to do that in, mm -hmm. it would be accepted that the, the most important thing is that we must do it. We shouldn't just brush it under the carpet and say, okay, you know, when it all gets over with, you know, we'll go and see it because they need the support and they need that care and attention now, you know? Okay. Um, this is a question about cremation. So uh, in terms of, of cremation, obviously there was that bill that was passed um, that... Um, I mean, it's understood that Muslims will not accept cremation. Um, I mean, I think in the law, there is always this, um, 
uh, loophole that in an emergency situation, cremation can happen. However, with all the, 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 the work that's been done, the, that's not on the table and we don't foresee that to happen anytime soon. But in terms of, uh, from an Islamic perspective, would it ever be permissible to cremate? Well, I've already said that in situations where there are disasters like earthquakes and things like that, mass burial is permitted. And in a situation where if even that was not sufficient in terms of that was um, also uh, leading to spread of disease, in a situation like that, um, it, it would be permissible because in situations of necessity, you can even eat something which is haram to stay alive. But that is an extreme, extreme situations. We're not at that point. We don't envisage being at that point. But just to, to let everyone know that that is the position. Um, Rashad, do you want to say anything about the, the cremation? We, we, inshallah, we should, that we should be able to avoid that, shouldn't we? Well, I think we should. You know, And I think it's all about us. Now, this is the real key question about unity and being organised in our communities. Alhamdulillah, like I said, in Bristol, we set up a COVID-19 uh, sort of executive panel, if you like, to help. Because of what happens when we have death, uh, depending on where you live, you call your local mustard service, where you call your local funeral director, and they're expected to take that complete burden off of you and arrange everything. Okay, now, that's a lot to do under the circumstances we've got now. So what we've done in Bristol, we've got a COVID-19 panel, which has actually been designed to assist the work that we actually do. So that panel works on all the, the key links the councils, the graveyards, the development, you know, so making sure now that what I'm getting to here is that if we're organized enough and we can deal with the janazah that are coming, um, and then there's no external intervention, right? We're not ever going to get into that position, inshallah, where, you know, the government says, okay, well, this area here is piling up, you know, it's not working. We need you to go and assist. And, and another thing where we sit on another panel, which deals with this issue uh, with all faiths and uh, what I've said to them is what we tend to find with non-Muslims is that there's the rulings are much different in fact they're very relaxed on how long it takes for them to bury and what you'll notice around the country at the moment a lot of work is going on with NHS and emergency services to create surplus storage okay I've seen a masjid in Birmingham I understand that's got 150 spaces They've designed into things that they've rented for body storage. Now, if we apply Islam, we're organized, <clears throat> and we've got the systems in place, the way I see things that we shouldn't really need to be storing. If we do store, it should be for very short periods of time. So providing our systems are in place and we're organized enough, and it may mean that people from the community need to go forward, providing they've got the right protective equipment, you know, and assist as well. But providing we can keep things going, I really can't see that cremation issue coming into the situation. Inshallah. Uh, Brother Rizzi, the question here, um, are, how are other religions affected by this? If so, how are they responding? Other religions, alhamdulillah, are in a similar position to ourselves. Um, the, the, the condition that we really have is that we don't want um, cremations, just like the previous questioner asked. Um, funny enough, the council did ask me about uh, the cremations and I said listen you know it's not permitted we won't do it what I did what we did discuss was that we were willing to if, a, if the cemetery fills up we go to a, another cemetery if that fills up we're going to stacking for example and we just, uh, discuss this with yourself as well 
So alhamdulillah, that's the way they issue. So I don't see commissions coming into the Muslims at all. But other phase, they're going through very similar stuff as well. They've, their anxiety levels are high as well. Commissions as well as uh, the burials. And at the same time, they're sticking to the strict protocols that are being the guidelines from the government as well. Okay. Uh, can women go to the graveyard alone without a mahram? Uh, yes, obviously, within the guidelines that we, we have of social distancing and so on. Um, the, the three Glasgow mosques have now got combined ghusl service. What does that mean for me? Uh, Brother Izzy, can you shed some light on that? What does that mean then? Yeah, so when you say combined ghusl facilities, um, yes and no. What, what, we, what, it's not combined, what we've got is we've got individuals trained up, Glasgow Central Mosque and Lanarkshire Mosque and Masjid Kidra. They were the three big ones that were operating uh, ghusl facilities and janazah facilities. They needed to get organised for for the um, for, for when obviously when someone passes it, <coughs> did get trained up, they got trained up, they got all the PPA in, position, uh, in place and everything else and handle that sort of doing. So it, it doesn't mean to say that they're, they're not going to go to Mustard because they're not going to go to Lanarkshire Moss, they're still going to go there as well. So depending on where that they place them and depending who's got the facilities and the individuals are volunteers at that time, that's where they'll be placed. But in all likelihood, for example, the person who wants to go to Masjid Kiza, he'll still get accommodated. Whoever wants to, whoever was a parishioner of Glasgow Central Mosque will still go over there. If somebody's in Lanarkshire and they want to go to Lanarkshire Mosque, that will still uh, be adhered to. So it'll still be done very much like that. Okay. Brother Shahid, is it even possible to catch COVID from a dead body? It is. It is possible. Um, so, you know, just like we're breathing, alhamdulillah, now, you know, when you move uh, a body around, there's air moving around. And obviously, every area can air can come out from that air. You know, it is possible for you to catch COVID, and also from the fluids. So any fluid escape from the body can also uh, cause the same issue. Uh, so again, you know, it's down to protection, which is one of the reasons we've got this issue with body bags. You know, and there's a lot going on with body bags. Famous, like Rizzi said, we had an issue yesterday where someone said they needed them. But most hospitals are actually. Uh, leave, letting the mayots leave only in body bags. However, the P Public Health England have now downgraded the requirement. So then uh, our hospitals are not actually expected to provide us with a body bag. You know, so this causes a little bit of confusion in what we do because some people don't really take on, just like our doctors, um, you know, treating people on the front line who haven't got protective gear. You know, we've lost some of them. We buried one of the one ones from Leicester only last week, subhanAllah. You know, it's a very difficult place to be. So it opens up that question, you know, of um, of protection and what level and all the different types that have been offered, which has caused this confusion. But there is definitely a risk. But it's, it's, it's something that can be managed if we use the pro same protocol. But there is clearly a risk. There was a, a question earlier on, but... Uh, you know, does life supersede the um, this hustle? I mean, the, the, I think that the point they were trying to make that same point that if there's a risk to people who are uh, doing the hustle, should it be done? Should it be not? Like I said, this is why, depending on uh, what information has been presented, people have said different uh, things. Those who have said it's permissible have said that the if the protective um, equipment's there and the risk is low, then it's permissible. Those who say that well if the if in a situation where there's still risk then it's better to do the payment instead so that's where the different opinions come in but at the same time 
the overriding principle is definitely the 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 maslaha of the the living takes precedence over the deceased in other words we have to make sure that the the the, the living person is not affected by the whole process because you know the sharia allows these rules to be relaxed um to protect the, the living uh Rizzi, the, the the burial process and of source brings so much peace to the family how are we going to overcome obstacles and still manage the mental health of our friends and family who have lost loved ones Okay, good question. <clears throat> there, there again, I would say it depends on the individual. And so sometimes people that never, uh, young people, I, I know I've had patients in the past where, where their father passed away when they were in first year school and they never ever uh, got any proper professional assistance for it or guidance. And they went all through their life in total depression and, you know, a terrible, terrible life. And then all of a sudden in their 50s, they realized what was going on. So my point is, if certain individuals are going to be able to overcome this kind of stuff quite easily, others, it's going to be much more challenging for them. So depending on the individual, what, what their personality is, what their traits are, what their modalities are, there's a whole, diff whole list of different things that come into place. So what I would be saying is, if you're having difficulty, go and speak to your GP, speak to your family elders, speak to your imam, speak to your sheikh, speak to somebody, speak to your brother, your elder sister, whoever it is, Whoever it is, speak to them and get some get some guidance, get some advice in it. It might just be very simple. You go to the doctor, he refers you over to a couple of sessions of counselling and that will sort it for you. Other times it might be a wee bit more deep-seated, a bit rooted, and it might need a wee bit more time. But it can be resolved. Don't ever think that you're going to have to live, it, live with it for the rest of your life. You won't. Medicine, medicine has evolved so much in the last 50 years and so has therapy, so is um, uh, psychiatry has really, really evolved through the years. So that's what I would say. Get and seek uh, uh, professional help if you need it. Don't hold back. Um, if I want to do the funeral prayer over my relative, should I? Or should I just leave it to the imam? Uh, like I said, um, what we can do is let whoever's leading the janazah prayer at the graveyard do it. But you can also, inshallah, lead it in your home. So you can read the janazah prayer for loved one in the home you'd uh, follow the shafi school who allow it and the shafi school the way of doing janazah is very similar to the way the hanafis would do it you basically just make the intention that you're about to play the janazah prayer over the deceased then you would do the four takbirs um and after the first takbir you'd read the surah fatiha after the second takbir you'd read salawat ibrahim let like you do in salah after the third uh, takbir you do a dua if you don't know the dua for janazah any dua will do then you do a fourth takbir and you just give salams. So it's very simple, inshallah. Uh, and inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept us. We can do both, inshallah. Um, with regards to bereavement, is Talbina good for grieving people? I'm not sure what that, uh, was, uh, that question is trying to say. If they can send that again. Another one just came. If a person dies from code, why do we have to stay away from the body even after they've, they've passed? Uh, Shahad, do you want to answer that? It's a very interesting question. Um, now, there's differences again here where we, we talked about this a minute ago on some some organisations or bodies, if you like, saying that uh, the body is still transmitting. You know, most of them are coming to the point where they're saying when the body has physically died, okay, then the, the infection has stopped. Okay, apart from the air release that can come out of the body when you're moving or the fluid. 
there's some doctors going on a little bit further saying that, look, there is a possibility that the skins can still have bacteria on it. And some are saying up to two to three days. So it's one of those areas, you know, I mean, I can tell you in the COVID wards that I know of, their bodies actually washed before it's taken out of the ward for one of those reasons. But it still presents a risk, okay? Uh, and the, the, the seal, we're still having, even though PHE Public Health England have relaxed uh, the rulings on, on funeral directors collecting bodies from mortuaries, they don't have to have bags, we're still finding them with bags. And we can still see that happening. Okay, because obviously everyone's got it up here now, but there's a risk. So funeral directors are being slightly reluctant, I think, on collecting the, you know. But in terms of, um, is there a law for you to not see your loved one? There, there isn't. Okay, but there's a risk, and it's about calculating that risk and managing it. And how can it be done in a way where it doesn't pose a wider risk to other people? Like Sheikh said, we do have a duty of care to those who are surrounding us. You know, and this uh, thing that we're suffering with at the moment is something we can't see, we can't taste, you know, and it affects everybody, you know, and it's a very difficult place to be. So we just have to tread carefully with what we've got. And if we've got facilities that were, that allow the controlled gusel, then obviously you've got a facility then the way you can do a viewing. And where we're, what we're finding is that we haven't got that when the collection is happening at mortuaries, then how can we arrange a viewing between the mortuary and the cemetery? That becomes quite difficult, okay? Because we're in controlled areas and locations, okay? Unless there was a stop made in between, you know, and we've got a controlled environment, we can guarantee the safety, then things are very difficult. That's one of the reasons we can't really see. Yes, yes. I'm on intensive care in Edinburgh this evening. My question is, what happens if one dies? The family's more than 200 miles away. Who will even lead one's funeral prayer? Who will attend? The ritual, ritual bathing may not be possible uh, regarding safety issues. We kind of answered that, but basically, inshallah, uh, rest assured, you will uh, you will get the full uh, burial rights, inshallah, and someday will definitely lead your uh, janazah prayer at the mosques are uh, coordinating that. And who will attend? Well, it's probably going to be uh, the people who wash the body or the people that the funeral director um, and a few individuals and and, and whoever, uh, you know, a few individuals. That, there's a maximum anyway who can attend at the graveyard. Uh, Rizzi, you want to add anything to that? Uh, no, nothing. I think you've covered it there. Um, first of all, do not worry. Do not worry that, um, you know, you, you won't get a janaza. Alhamdulillah, uh, mosques are well organised. The volunteers are keen. They're energetic. They will come. They will come there all suited up. They will, even if they don't give the full gusul, they'll certainly give the tigam if they want it. And feeling that, I know Glasgow Central Mosque and another mosque, they're taking the position that they're, they're basically going to be picking up. They've got a system in place where they're going to be picking up the mayyad from the from the mortuary and straight over to the cover stand. They don't even take the, the, the coffin out of the hearse. They leave Slatul Janaza there and then straight in, all right? So, um, uh, but they're taking every case in its own merit. So if somebody wants to do the Tayyamam, you know, that will be done something. So, they, you know, uh, we have got a system in place. You've got nothing to worry about. Okay. Um, we all know that we are temporary visitors and can go at any time. What's different in getting people anxious is not being able to be with their loved ones and serving them at the end of their life and then giving them a dignified send-off. This could be elderly parents or even a child. Could you perhaps comment on this if we find ourselves in this situation? I think I've kind of mentioned this before, that 
the way to, way to look at the situation is that if that does happen, that that is by the divine will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there will be benefit in that. Um, if you think of situations where people in the past would have died in distant lands um, on the battlefield or maybe uh, traveling or at sea, they wouldn't have had their loved ones there to see them also. It's not like this has never happened before. So um, there's divine wisdom in all that happens, inshallah. And remember that hadith where the Prophet وسلم, is, is passing a graveyard and there's a woman who's, who's uh, grieving uh, excessively and the, the Prophet asks her to be patient. And she says, leave me, you don't know what has befallen me, right? You don't know what, you don't know what I'm going through. Later on, she realizes it's the Prophet ﷺ. She comes, she apologizes and says, look, I didn't know it was you. And the Prophet ﷺ said, that basically sabr, patience is, is not afterwards. Patience is when it's difficult, when you have difficulty, you hold it there and then. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ shed tears when Ibrahim, his son, passed away. And the, the Sahaba asked him, Ya Rasulullah, you're crying? You, you know, what is this? You, you know, you're a prophet of God. He said, this is from the mercy in my heart. In other words, this is from my humanness. Our humanness is that we will find this difficult. We will grieve. It's absolutely normal to do that. Um, but he said, we do not say anything which is displeasurable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, I know this has happened by the decree of God. I'm not enjoying it, but I am accepting it. And I think that's the, the thing. We're not going to enjoy this, but we accept the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, Rizzi, because you're in this kind of uh, professional field, is there anything else you could say that could help people who are feeling anxious and if they don't have that time with their loved ones at the end of their, at the end of their life and be able to serve them at the end of their life, anything that you could say to give them comfort? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking the way I, would, I normally work with a patient and one thing I usually do with them if they're going through some, this kind of stuff is... You know, usually the problem they've got is one of regret, one of guilt that they're carrying. And the guilt can be really, really heavy for them to carry. And it really, really suppresses them in their life. They can't hold on to a relationship. They can't hold on to a job. It really, really, it's like a malignancy, like an emotional malignancy. That's the best way I can describe it when it's really, really chronic. What I will say to them, one, one thing that they can do is do something in their name. And I had a similar case where there was a brother that came to me and he was going through absolute hell and um, because he'd lost his mother and he just couldn't come to terms with it. He tried everything, he tried even he tried you name it, he had tried and it wasn't working. And what did work for him, and let me also add he was an unbeliever. He was an unbeliever, but what worked for him was that he started up um, um, uh, a, a little medicine place. So he hired a doctor, he had, got the medicines, he gave it uh, in a foreign country, very, very poor area, and there he went, and he's seen it with his own eyes, all the children, all the families, all coming together with tears in their eyes, getting the medication, getting the proper treatment, and that consoled his soul. That's what he needed. His guilt disappeared. It dissipated completely. The regret went and he got on with his life and he loved what he'd done. So it was one of the best things. He actually seen his mother passing away as a blessing. So I hope that helps you. Inshallah. On the topic of PPE, the NHS in desperate need of PPE. Would it not be irresponsible for scholars to encourage volunteers to use PPE for Gosar when Tiamma would suffice? And if this vital PPE can be given to NHS. It's interesting someone's asked that question because we had this discussion on a couple of forums just today. Um, and the discussion, the way the discussion was going was um, that the, the, the face masks that um, people who are doing Ghusl is different from the face masks that the NHS uh, 
um, would be using theirs would be uh, you know a lot uh, a lot more sophisticated. Um, so that was the general discussion going on. So the, the two different things. But then someone did come say that he, some places, even NHS, they're struggling um, to to get even the basic stuff. In that situation, if if it came down to a shortage, uh, definitely it would go to NHS first uh, because they're on the front line, and then we would revert to other um, options such as Tayammum and so on. Uh, do you want to add anything to that, Shahid, before I move on? I think that's correct, really, you know, and it is that in that order. And it does come into, if you look at the BBS side, the British um, imams and the document that they produced, you know, there's this criteria is there. I mean, if we're in a predicament where we haven't got the safety and we're going to put other people into a, a risky situation, you know, then we need to go on to what the imams are saying and we need to take the option that Allah's given us to make it easy, you know. And there's a, you know, there's a blessing in that, like you said earlier on, Sheikh, you know, the, you know, the, on, on how how that's done and how people are buried in that manner. Inshallah. Uh, this is um, somebody who, uh, is Bushra Riaz Bushra, basically, has been working on that whole organ donation uh, site. She says, "I work with kidney research. Um, donation has been has been ceased in this time. I work with the Scottish government, so she's saying that the uh, donation seems to, well, from what she's saying, seems to have been put on hold." She said, Brother Amjad Ali, which uh, uh, Shah had mentioned, works with very close with myself and colleagues and don't mix Scottish government with English government laws. So there must be something there. Would it be permissible to post a link to the organ donation document you're talking about, uh, Rizzi? Uh, if you can find that uh, link, that'd be good. And we can post up later, inshallah. Where doctors and nurses who have had full training in donning PPE are dying from exposure, volunteers being given a non-practical an online course would be substantially higher risk to contracting the virus from deceased COVID-19 patient. Would you endorse, endorse a blanket to Yemen for all deceased COVID-19 based on this risk? Um, like I said, those, the, 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 the fatwas are actually very clear. The ones that said that minimum ghusl can be done have said if there is uh, minimal, uh, either zero risk or well, zero risk is, is, is always a slight risk, but as long as the PPE is there, they have all the equipment, they can sanitize everything, disinfect everything, and it's a high standard which they're asking for. If all that is there, then uh, the guidance they've been given from Public Health England is permissible. So they're going on government guidance. Those who, who and, and they say that if anyone is in a position there, they don't have that, they should not do the post they should do something else like TMM. And like I said, those who have said, well, basically what you're saying, that the um, we're medical staff have passed away, so there is always going to be an element of risk and that we can't take that risk at all. They have gone towards the position of either TMM or no, no ghusl, no TMM and straight janaza. Uh, anyone want to add anything to that before we move on to the next question? Yeah, no, I think you're quite thorough, yeah. Okay. Is there any number set up by government for Janaza? Uh, no, the, the, the government's not going to give us a number. For Janaza, we only need one person. One person performs a Janaza prayer, is done, but every different locality um, is given different numbers of how many people can attend. So I, I believe Birmingham is six, uh, other places 20. What's it in Bristol, Shahid? The number? Uh, it was 28 with the uh, uh, early legislation, but now it's been reduced to 10. Okay, and Rizzi, what's in the number in Scotland? 
I believe it's actually 10, um, it's immediate family. Um, we've got it as 10 here in our notes, maximum of 10. Um, but I know that down south they've been causing a bit of problems down in the Birmingham area. Um, I, know, I know there was a Labour MP, Tahir Ali, he attended too. And I know there was a, a, there's a bit of a hullabaloo going around in the media about that as well, because they're trying to increase it and the police are saying, no, we want to decrease it. So, you know, there's there. But up, up in Scotland, we're, we're a maximum of 10 here. Mm -hmm. If anyone died non-COVID disease at present, what's the protocol? Shahid? Okay. Um, the protocol is exactly the same, okay? Because the sad situation about this issue is we don't know who mm. is actually infected, if you like, or has symptoms, who hasn't. And in fact, if we look backwards a week or so, one of our brothers from um, uh, Birmingham sides, Al-Akhara Funerals, I believe, uh, Brother Ishtiak, he was actually infected. Um, and I had to ask the question to him, Alhamdulillah, he's now recovered. He was isolated for over 14 days. It did get quite rough for him. And the, the biggest issue here is, is actually what we've learned is, is the family is actually far greater risk than the, the Mayyadis. Because obviously the Mayyadis is limited there's no breathing now. The risks, we know where they are, air escape and the fluid like we've discussed. But with the family, we don't know who has been near an infected person or who hasn't. Even if that actual disease is not infected, then we have to still deal with it with PP3. We still have to follow exactly the same protocol. Okay, There is difference. One uh, benefit, I suppose, I see if this has happened at home, then the family, if they have the space, can do ghusl because obviously those people are still around that individual okay and they have been from the start do you understand so it doesn't change their uh, position or their risk of infection because they've been around that person yeah um rizzi is there any difference in non-covid death in scotland uh, exactly basically exact same same protocol same everything <coughs> same limits limitations in relation to who can actually attend even when we do the slaplo janaza, we're, we're spaced out two metres apart, all right? So, you know, it's not shoulder to shoulder, as you can appreciate for obvious reasons. And again, the way that we do the earth, it's done very, very strictly. Normally, you used to give everybody a chance to put earth with the shovel. That's not done. If they want to, they can put three handfuls of earth in with their own hands. Other than that, it will be the funeral directors that will do everything. They, they will be the pole bearers. They will lower the, 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 uh, the mayat down. Normally, we'd get the family to do it. Normally, this, that wouldn't happen. So there, there's just some, some you know, we've stiffened it up, in other words. Rizzi, um, what's the situation in Scotland? Are they doing ghusl or are they just doing tiamum? And the question related to that is, are you getting adequate PPE as medical professionals are not getting all this? Okay, so... Questions two tier, right? One is about the PPE. The PPE, there was a big problem with that, as you can appreciate when when it was uh, when this all started off, because nobody could get it. The NHS couldn't get it. Funeral directors couldn't get it. Up and down the country, even when you were going and and trying to get it from abroad, you couldn't get it, right? So each time we were posting the National Burial Council, they were posting different links, and when the, when the funeral directors were going there to try and get the stuff, they couldn't get it. So anyway, so what was happening is this, we were improvising. So what they were using was building stuff, for it, built what builders were, you know, like the thick wrist screen types of overalls and things like this. So we were being creative, we were being innovative in what we could use and what we couldn't use, right? So that's the first part of it, right? Uh, concerning the PPE. 
in Glasgow or in Scotland, what they've decided to do is they're not, they're, they're not going to be doing first of all, they don't have the facilities, they don't have the proper PEE for their mortuary to do it in, uh, where they do the gusels, for example. Also, they don't have the space, you need more space there. Our, our gusel canners are already very, very tight, so they don't have the facilities. They can't risk themselves uh, uh, in these respects. And they have went to their own imams. The imams have given the ruling that they will just take the maggot straight to, the, from the mortuary, straight to the burial ground. At the burial ground, they'll be slapped with janazah, then they'll do it from there. They will, they will do the burial there. So do, so, they, do they do tamam when they... Yeah. And if, they, if, for example, if, if the family are uh, really wishing, are really pushing for tamam and it can be done and they've got the facilities here to do it, they will do it there, at the Kabbalistan probably, or they will do it when they just get the money out at the mortuary. All right? So wherever they can, the family just needs to say, I need to do this, and so they're being flexible about it. Okay, Shahad, uh, same question. Are, are you getting adequate PPE as medical professionals are not getting all this? Alhamdulillah, we've managed to source a limited amount of PPE for our staff. We haven't got enough to distribute around to loads of teams for Gusul, but our issue stemmed more around what Rizwan said with the mosques. We've got exactly the same problem. So it's important, this, this, this question, actually, because obviously a lot of mustards are under a lot of pressure. Okay, a lot of people take it personally. You know, it's my masjid, I pray here, you know, and um, it's, it's just something we expect, isn't it? You know, when we want someone we love dies, we want to do gusun. But the thing is that they're under a very difficult uh, uh, regime at the moment of laws and policies and protocols. And what if I just give you a brief example, the, the room has to be ventilated. It's got to have certain type of services, you know, not loads of crevices. So basically anywhere you could get bacteria stuck is a risk, you know, just you understand? So a lot of our mortuaries are not state of the art. They've been there for many years, you know. So in Bristol, for example, we out of 15 mustards, we don't have a uh, facility that we feel or the mustards feel is suitable enough for them to guarantee the safety, okay? And that is, is where the issue is. So we are, at the moment, we've only had our uh, meeting, second meeting today with the mustard. So in the next couple of days, by Monday, they'll decide their position. But from that meeting, it was pretty clear, it seems that Bristol is going down that road of the Yemen. However, we are looking into an independent, isolated facility that we can maybe bolt onto NHS services or a random location where we can maybe make up a Gusser Centre for those who we can set up with full PP3. Okay, and, and that could be done. But again, it all depends on the family and what the imams, and it seems to be united, to be honest, at the moment in what they're saying. If, the, if Allah's made it easy for you, why make it difficult if you haven't got the facilities and to fast-track things and, and keep them uh, as smooth as possible? Yeah. Salam, with regards to NHS doctors from Tiam, would this involve touching the person or would you perform Tiam by action only? So my understanding from, from what um, the BBC, BBSI, and they had a webinar last week as well, is um, that... You, you just uh, you'd have a stone you just rub the stone because you'd have gloves on anyway so you're not touching the person directly there's already a barrier you touch the, the stone and then you just wipe the person's face touch the stone again and you just wipe the person's forearms and that's it um as a hanafi am i allowed to follow the shafi school for this i think this is in regard to the janazah prayer yes i, uh, I explained how to do it in the, the shafi way very similar to the hanafis do it you just make the intention that i'm following the shafi school 
and I'm going to plead uh, Salat al-Janazah uh, in absentee for the person. There are no males in the family. Can a female do Janazah? Or would this be someone from the mosque to coordinate this? Um, if, if you mean the, the, the funeral prayer, the Janazah, the funeral prayer, yes, a, a female can uh, perform, uh, one female could perform the Janazah prayer. Um, if, if you're talking about um, the ghusl, I think like um, the, the, the funeral directors could probably tell us more, but I think um, they would they'd have males for male, males and females for females. I'm assuming, is that right, Shahid? Yes. Yeah, I'm assuming it's the same in, in Scotland as well. Is there anything in place in relation to prices of funerals as it could be a few deaths in one family and funerals are costly? Rizzi, you want to answer that? <clears throat> just, just as I've got a handle of the question, is it, um, have you got something in place for the funeral payments? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's something about, um, in relation to the costs, um, what's happening with funeral costs? Are okay. they reducing them because it might be more than one? Yeah, funny enough, what they have, what they, it's strange that you, you put that question because it's actually a very good question. I know what the mosques are doing because of the situation, um, they're actually being very, very sensitive and being very, very flexible on it. And they've actually reduced their charges as far as I can see. All right, so you really need to check with the mosques on this one, right? But from what I've read and what I've spoke to them about it is they're only charging the immediate stuff as in for the, the price of the layer, the price of the coffin, and so on. So they're keeping, they're keeping the, uh, the, the fees right, right down. Okay, right down to the main, just the main, the, the main stuff, and that's it. Okay. Are there enough trained women to... Uh, sorry, Shahad, is there is a situation in, in down south similar? Uh, it is similar, but down here, we don't have mosque systems where they've got volunteers in the mosque and it's all run, run by the mosque. We've got two funeral directors in Bristol. But alhamdulillah, I think, I mean, from where I'm sitting, we're trying our best not to, obviously we don't want to, when people are already down and in this difficult time, the last thing you want to do is, is stick the bills. But PP3 does come at a cost. So around the country, a lot of people are paying ridiculous amounts of money for PP3. I mean, masks at £40 or, or coveralls at £30, which we've got to remember are only used once. So there is a cost element. But we're hoping, inshallah, that we can try and manage this and keep it, you know, within uh, limits. And there is some things that um, families can tap into, such as a social fund. I did see an article that I haven't read fully where, where the government was talking about helping families with COVID deaths, okay? So with some sort of a fund, but I haven't seen that materialise yet. Um, are there enough trained women to perform ghusl at this time? Sorry, say that again. Uh, Is there enough women, uh, enough trained women to perform ghusl at this time? Yes, so mashallah, Bristol has a good amount of uh, uh, women trained for ghusl. They haven't gone into the PP3, so this is what we're going to go into, the training in the coming week or so, but we do have plenty of women. Uh, to, to... Rizzi, we'll be up there. Yeah, I would say, um, I, I, I could certainly say for, for, for what, for, I can't speak for Lancashire Moss or Central Moss, but for Kizam Moss, they're well accommodated. And I know in Glasgow, they, they, they've got always got people volunteering, throwing them in, uh, wanting to volunteer and be trained up, and some of them are trained up. Mashallah, a lot of them have attended the courses that you can run. Alhamdulillah. Uh, Rizzi, a question here, I know, because you've looked into wills as well. Being in self-isolation, can we make a will with witnesses on webcam, seeing as this is related to end-of-life issues? Well, it's more of a legal question that I would say, first of all, you do want to make a will. I think it's imperative that you you, you make a will. Too many people pass away uh, in relation to um, being intestate. In other words, they pass away without making a will and it causes a lot of problems for families and the government gets a healthy chunk of it. The, the, the family get very little. 
Um, but the essence of the question is, can you make it over webcam? I think it's, I, I know rules have been made by video, you know, so I know that's been done. So if we can do it with that and it's recorded, it would probably stand if there was no other way of doing it. But I, I think you'd, you'd still want to run it past a lawyer because I'm not a lawyer. Shahid, uh, anything on that? You know what, at this present moment in time, Marshall, I've seen several companies around the country, you've probably seen the emails as well, where they're actually offering free wills or wills at a very minimum price. And the, the question in relation to wills, like Rizzy said, you know, we do see the tail end of this when people don't make wills, you know, you know, uh, it does create quite big, massive problems really. So the best advice at this time it's for all of us as Muslims. Like, for example, if we go to Umar or Hajj, we, you find this uh, influx of people making wills. But, you know, in this current position in time, it's a reminder for us. And I think we should always have a will ready. You know, and that is, if this is a good time or a prompt for us to do it, then we should do it now. Because a lot of people are there to help us, inshallah, complete it. Inshallah. Um, I think we're, we've just got one more coming in. Uh, how does it affect the dead if they are buried with it? Wasal? Um, it doesn't affect the dead. So if if um, situation was that a person was was buried with a wasal, in terms of the other side, when they go to the other side, it doesn't affect them in any shape or form. Um, there's actually a hadith I remember just off the top of my head about this man who, um, because he was so afraid to to meet Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. This is in the olden times um, that a man who was so afraid to meet Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, he he told uh, his um, his siblings, his, uh, his children to to cremate him and then to scatter his ashes in different directions because he, he feared uh, the resurrection. And then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala resurrects him, because, you know, the body decays in the, in the, in the, in the soil anyway, um, but we're resurrected from the tailbone. And he asked him why he did this. He said that I feared um, because of the way I'd lived my life. So the fact Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought together in the next life shows that it doesn't really matter what's happening in this life. The rules of the next life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know, can do whatever uh, he wishes. And, and um, he knows the situation. He knows why no ghusl was given to that person. And it's accepted, inshallah, uh, uh, with God. Uh, there's funding through Scottish government available for support with funeral costs. Uh, this is always available. Okay, thank you very much. That's somebody's put a comment in that there's um, some of, of, um, funding available through Scottish Government. Is there Should a slide? Yeah. Go on, go on. I've actually looked into that. So um, we had this discussion. In fact, it was quite a bit of a battle on Facebook where someone said that you can get this funding. You can get the funding. However, you need to, it's not there for everybody. You need to meet the criteria. The criteria is if you're, for example, on some sort of benefits, if you're on some sort of benefits, you meet the criteria, then you will get it. I have helped people in the past get it, ascertain it. However, it's not there for everybody, so you know, please bear that in mind. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Jeff, on that topic of uh, funding and paying for Janaz, I think it might be good for you to mention just the fund the kafaya, you know, on us as a community. You know, what we, we had the question posed to us today, actually on the last meeting uh, a few a couple of days with the mosque, and how would we deal with this? But I mean, ultimately, as a community, we we got no choice. You know, we have to make sure that this person is buried in accordance to Sharia and the onus lies on it. Oh, well, maybe a, good, a few words from you on that. Yeah, so what, what was the question, Shahid, that you're asking me? This is when someone passes away, and obviously in the community, if we don't bury them, you know, in the front of the Ain and the front of the Kafaya, you know, which is obviously a direct responsibility on us as a community to make sure that person is actually buried. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's a it's a it's a communal obligation, which means a fard kifaya um, that we um, give ghusl to the, a deceased person. If we can't give ghusl, we give tayammum. If in a situation where we can do neither of that, then that both of those obligations drop on the ummah, um, and then we uh, pray the janaza prayer. Is as long as even one person prays the janaza prayer, they lift the entire sin of everybody. So uh, in the situations that we're seeing, uh, Alhamdulillah, you know, people are praying the janazah prayer for uh, the deceased. You've probably seen pictures, I've seen pictures anyway, of even hospital staff who've uh, prayed for janazah, one or two people in front of the mayyid. So as long as one person does it, um, they will lift the, 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 the sin off uh, the entire ummah. And it was in a situation where that was not possible for whatever reason, and uh, you know, we tried our best. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will accept it, inshallah Taala. Is there any guidance, Islamic guidance, on how to create a will? I think Rizzi, you've got a template, haven't you? Uh, there's also a few free ones on the internet floating about. It's very straightforward, especially if your estate is is quite small. If your estate is larger, then it's probably best to speak to um, one of the kind of providers. There's there's I wills. There's also legacies and a few other people who do wills in england um i think there's a webinar actually happening on sunday i got a, 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 a that's right yes there is yeah. a webinar on on islamic wills on on sunday um the islamic uh, finance guru comes to my mind but uh, um we can post the details up inshallah uh if ghusl and funeral rules can be so relaxed model why do we normally have them because the thing is sharia is practical so like I said, that I gave that hadith of that you pray standing so that, that, that in normal situations, you pray standing. But if you can't stand, you've, 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 you've injured your knee, then the sharia doesn't make you go through all that pain. It says, no, you can sit and now do it because your situation is different. If your situation again changes, then you can do it lying down. So the, the sharia is pragmatic. It deals with every situation um, as and when it happens. And therefore, in normal circumstances, we have these rules. Uh, these are exceptional circumstances. We have to understand we are in exceptional times. So when exceptional times occur, exceptional rules occur as well. And, that, and the Sharia has got that flexibility um, to adapt to every type of situation. Can you have multiple janazas for same person? Example, doctors doing one in the hospital, can family do one later? Like I said, the way you do it is if the doctors have, have done it, then um, or the janazah prayer has already been done. We can then just do it from our homes, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, there is a masala that um, if like the, the family members were not present at the janazah uh, and, and it was performed and they can then perform the janazah prayer again. So there is that as well. You mentioned that Tiamum, I was done, Jazakallah. I saw a video made of a brother due to coronavirus and they just threw soil over his body bag. Is this legitimate or worth anything? Um, that's not my understanding of how uh, tayammum uh, is done by throwing uh, soil over the, the the body bag. But like I said, you know, um, these are are probably probably no one's ever done tayammum on a deceased person. So it's, you know, I think you have to forgive people if they make any mistakes like that. Um, the, but the guidance from BBC, BBSI is if the, the the body bag cannot be opened, then you basically wipe. The body bag over with uh, a wet hand um so there's lots of options inshallah ta'ala and all of them are, are legitimate inshallah ta'ala okay 
Um, so that's all our questions. Um, any final words, uh, Brother Shahid and Rizzi, before we sign off, inshallah? Subhanallah. I mean, it's just a time where we have to be united and, and expect, you know, whatever Allah is going to give to us is a test for us, you know, and it is something where we have to work together on, you know, and obviously, like I said, with the masjids and our communities, what we normally expect from them, obviously at this time of extreme measures, we can't expect it, you know, but in terms of the people that do the funerals or have the responsibilities, obviously people that are older in some locations, you know, they really need to be saved from this position. We have one of our uncles, mashallah, who, who's in charge of uh, one of our graveyards. You know, he's very healthy, mashallah, he's fitter than I am. But because of his age, his, his family have asked us not to put him in that predicament. So we've taken over for a short period of time and we've, you know, just given him some time off. So I think it's important that we work with each other and we're conscious, you know, what's going on, what this uh, epidemic is doing. And obviously, we got a social responsibility as well, you know, in terms of the recommendations we have, you know, in terms of social distancing and trying to follow the guidelines and not having... We had a call yesterday saying, do you want to come and do Jummah? We'll do it in the back garden. There's, there's lots of us. But obviously, it goes against the grain, you know. I think the best thing we can do is try and uh, 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 do what the government's asking us to do. That way, we've done our bit. We don't know where this comes from or when it's going to go. Uh, but in, in relation to janazas, we have to stay patient, calm, and obviously try your best to communicate with hospitals. The worst part of this thing, I think, which is heart-wrenching, is the fact that we may lose loved ones and they may not see us before they go. And like you touched on that earlier on. So I think we just got to prepare ourselves. Um, and obviously, the more we protect ourselves, the less chances, inshallah, uh, we got of getting this. And, and if we do get it, we, we follow the criteria and try to be as healthy as we can. To overcome it and trust in Allah. Uh, Brother Rizzi, you want to say a few words to finish off? And also, the last question came in because you'd mentioned stacking. If you can just explain what you meant by stacking and then just give us uh, your final words, inshallah. Okay. In relation to, I use the word stacking. Um, stacking is probably the, 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 the most accurate word I can come up with. So that basically is if, we, if for example, the council was asking, can we do mass graves? And the answer to that is, yes, we can. But again, it can't just be a whole load of people just thrown into a grave and then earth thrown out. That is not the way we operate. We do it neatly. We do it sweetly. We do it systematically. And what we do is we would put the mayats, for example, we put them nice and neatly. So how we, depending on how we were, uh, how we do them, for example, in Glasgow, we use a coffin, we use a box. So what we would do is we put one box and then we would put the earth above that. And then we put another box on top of that, another coffin on top of that. Um, <clears throat> And then we put the earth on top of that. That would be what I would refer to as stacking. We already use stacking when we're doing children, for example, or stillborns, for example. We already use that system, and it has been used in the shape of no more about this away uh, uh, in the past and so on. So yeah, we can do it already. There is a there is a uh, cemetery down south where they're running at a space they've got nowhere else to go, and now we are toiling with the idea. They haven't done it yet, but the amount of they, they, they're in the London area, the greater London area. So they're having <coughs> issues here. We, we will, I, I don't see us doing stacking here in Scotland or the rest of Scotland. The reason being because we're quite flexible with our councils who are giving us more space. What we have said to them is, if we do run out of space, then please, we'll jump into another, another cemetery, another cemetery, another cemetery, but under, under 
any costs at all. We don't want cremations, all right? So yes, um, it won't be a strictly Muslim cemetery. We won't have a strict Muslim cemetery, but it's still, we will be adhering to the Sharia. So I hope that answers your question in relation to stacking. Mm -hmm. Final thoughts. <clears throat> First of all, we are going through this adversity. We are going through these difficult times. And it's great to see, you know, it's very assuring that we're all, we're all coming together. The sheikhs are all coming together. The imams are all coming together. The mosques are all coming together. We're doing really, really well. So there's no more bickering. We're all united. We're all standing. And, we're, you know, we will get through this together. But we need to exercise sabr. And what I am saying is we are now there is, don't get me wrong, there is a small percentage, but you're always going to get that, that's going to be like that. However, you exercise sabr and patience and inshallah you'll be rewarded for that. Again, <clears throat> I would say this time is going to be, it is, this time is going to pass, this adversity, this, cha this challenging time that we are going through, these difficulties that we are going through, it is going to pass, all right? But you know, have patience, have sabr, and let's get through this together. And be flexible with it, if anything, if we look at the way we were before, we were so strict in everything. We had to have it, we had to have it now. And now you can't get that. You need to queue up properly, you know? So I would say exercise a wee bit of flexibility. Also, if you've got an elder in your household, that's what I will say. If you've got an elderly mother, for example. I mean, I haven't went and seen my mother, right, for weeks since this all started. I go up to the door, I leave the stuff outside the door, and I leave it there, I ring the doorbell away again and speak on the phone. Alhamdulillah. Why? Because I'm out and about, I'm everywhere, I'm seeing maids, I'm doing all different things. I'm high risk. There's absolutely no way, Jose, I'm going to risk contaminating my mum. So if you've got an elderly, if you've got an elderly, uh, elderly parent or whoever it is, mother, father, grandfather, whatever, be that bit more smarter, a wee bit more astute. That's what I'm saying. So when you come in, take your shoes off, spray them with disinfectant, take your clothes off, throw them into the washing machine, jump into the shower, wash your hands, get yourselves organized. But you know, you have to be diligent, right? You know, much as I hate to see it, we've still to see the eye of the storm, all right? We've still to see that, and we need to be ready for it, my brothers and sisters. Thank you. Zach Lacher, um, there's one question that came in. If someone died because of coronavirus, then he, she died as a martyr. The ghostly is exempt, am I correct? Uh, there's, there's a difference between, there's two types of, of martyrs. There's Shahid al-Akhir and Shahid al-Dunya. Um, so Shahid al-Dunya is, is somebody who is very specific, somebody passed away in the, the battlefield. And for that person, they're not given a ghusl. They're not given, they're just buried the way they are. And there's... Uh, difference of opinion whether you pray janaza prayer on them or not so many scholars say you don't pray even janaza prayer on them um so the shahidul akhira is another category um so the shahidul akhira is that imam siyuti mentions about like 30 different um categorizations of that where these are different hadith which are mentioned like for example this one about the plague, somebody dies in the plague as a shaheed. Uh, so basically we treat them uh, in this world not like the way we treat anybody. We give them a ghusl, we give them a janazah prayer, we bury them and so on. Uh, we give them a coffin. But in the akhirah, they will have the, the status of a shaheed. So uh, don't conflate the two. Uh, that was all the questions. Uh, just I just want to thank uh, my two guests um, because um, they're, just like the NHS, they're on the front line as well. And uh, what I would say is that uh, we should make du'a for everybody who's, who's working to protect other people, like people in the NHS, and also for our funeral directors who are 
alleviating us of any sin and, uh, agree, and, and fulfilling the duty of the entire ummah and also to cooperate with them because they will know what the guidelines are uh, and it's going to be an emotional time for many of us if we lose loved ones but we have to uh, respect and follow their, their instructions. Um, and lastly, I would say that um, it is going to be a difficult time but inshallah if we can support one another and be there for one another uh, as much as possible uh, like the other two speakers are saying, inshallah, we will get through uh, this uh, difficult period. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easy to protect us, to give us sabr, um, and those who, who do uh, pass away in, in this time, that uh, it's a cleansing for them, and that they are given a higher board in, in Jannatul Fardaus, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us all and protect us all. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad, wa ali wa sahbihi wa sallam taslim kathira. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Jazakallah khair everyone for um, participating today. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.